the purpose of a courtship is to find a marriage partner. And if you're not ready to be married, then that's kind of a vain effort. Decide if you are ready to be married and then, then engage in a courtship. this presentation for quite some time and um it's one of these issues of a a growing and young demographic church when when we want to make these kind of um definitions and steps what what we're trying to do is we're trying to say how how do we take our young people from the process of being single to being married and a lot of that is culturally determined you know if you're if you live in one place or one time this has looked different ways so how do we get to how do we get to the heart of what the church wants to do with these issues um in a way that we all agree on now my my own you know i think um here locally dean and i are the only the only two families with married children and so um the the uh the buck has been passed to us and said, you know, teach on, on courtship. And, and, um, I'm, I've been a little bit leery because I don't want to use my experiences and my expectations for my family and impose them on the church. I really want for us to derive some, um, some standards together as a community so rather than try to advocate, here's what, here's what courtship needs to look like, it follows the way, and here's how we all have to do things, I want to bring up what the questions are that we should answer as a community. I think that we need to have some, some meetings about this as a community, uh, some brothers meetings, and talk about it. But this is a place to get the, the, the subject started, and, and I hope that... M- a couple things. I hope that we can talk about this in our congregations. Like, what do we think about these ideas and what are the standards that we want to impose as a community on, on our young people as they're getting married and, and then have a brother's meeting at some point to, to further define some of these things. So here's the questions that I think we need to resolve. The first question is what should um, relationships between singles look like? How should men and women who are not courting be relating to each other? What does that relationship look like? That's our kind of like baseline. What I what I have typically said in in um, in discussing propriety between the sexes is that single people should act across genders the way that married people act across genders. In other words. Um, I don't think that single people should be comfortable engaging in relationships in ways that married people engage across gender lines with people they're not married to. So a single brother shouldn't treat a single sister that he's not courting differently than I would treat a married woman who's not my wife. That we should have the same kinds of lines of propriety, like here's how we interact, here's the things that we're comfortable doing and not doing, but that should be our baseline for behavior that we treat each other as if we were married. That, that um, solves a lot of dilemmas. It helps us keep boundaries in the right places so that we're not, um, so that we're not um, acting in ways that are unbecoming for Christians. That we have certain lines that we don't engage across sexes in ways that are inappropriate. That's, that's my my basic parameter. It's what I've I've always used as a metric, and I think it's something that we should put out there in a church and say, is that how, is that the standard that we're all comfortable with? Is that how we should be treating relationships between men and women? Once we define that baseline, where that is, then we have to say, well, how do we create an exception to that norm? So we want people, we want a young couple to be able to say, I keep saying young, I'm not presuming older people can court too. It's, I don't, I don't mean to assume, but um, how do we create an exception to the norm? So if normally single people should treat each other across the genders in this certain way, then how do we create space within that norm 
can go past those normal boundaries and say, I want to get to know you in a different way so that we can determine if we would be a good partnership, if we would make a good marriage partnership. Um, that, that space, what do we call that? That's important. What do we call it? And how do we introduce it? How do we let people know that we're making this bubble, this exception for ourselves so we can engage outside of the normal parameters? We typically call this courtship. Some people call it dating. All those terms are variable. And this is the other difficulty with having this conversation and, and trying to present it as a teaching is that different people mean different things when they use different terms. The, the word courtship has everything from the modern concept of dating, like getting to know people um, kind of indiscriminately, all the way up to quasi-betrothal, almost married and and depending on where people are coming from, we mean different things when we say that. And this is a part of what we want to do here is that we want to create some terminology and some protocol so that we are all speaking the same language. When we say a young couple is courting, we know what that means. It doesn't mean that they're getting married. It doesn't mean that they're in they're just um, they're just friends or girlfriend, boyfriend, but that it. It implies certain things to all of us that we know what it means and we and we know what its purpose is. I would I would say that the purpose for courtship really is to find a marriage partner. It's not just to have um, to have fun, to date, to to enjoy a relationship with someone of the opposite gender. It really is to find a marriage partner. And I think that's something that distinguishes the church's perspective on these things from the world's view of dating is that when we court in the church, when we engage in relationships, we're doing it with the purpose of finding a marriage partner. It's not frivolous. It's not for no end. It really is to find a marriage partner. So, so there can be you know, some problems on either extreme of this. If, if we make courtship so stringent that it means almost married, then we don't give young people space to get to know each other to see if that's a good option for them. At the same time, if it's too frivolous, then you just end up with potentially immorality or, or broken hearts or, uh, you know, messed up affections or people that can't guard their hearts or, or crossed lines, or there's all kinds of, of, of potential problems there. So we want to find culturally as a group, we want to find a sweet spot where people can say, Hey, brother, so-and-so would like to court sister. So-and-so that gives them space to engage in a relationship differently than they would normally, than we would normally between two single people, they're getting to know each other. They're going to spend time together. They're going to have conversations that maybe wouldn't be appropriate outside of courtship. Like, how do you feel about uh, family and child rearing? And um, I, I don't know, just the different intimate conversations that happen in a courtship that wouldn't necessarily be appropriate outside of that context. So... What is the terminology that we're going to use? I'm, I'm generally assuming courtship is a term, um, but it's not. It doesn't have to be that. It just, it's just the one that, that I'm most familiar with. And what are the parameters of that? Like, what does that space give people room to do? Should, should it be? How, how supervised should it be? And what are all the factors? And we'll talk more about that. Another question we have to deal with is what what are the role of parents in courtship? Um, there's a lot of of uh, because we're a diverse group. There's a lot of questions about how parents factor into courtships. Does the age of the couple matter? You know, does a 32 year old couple have the same obligation to their parents and their courtship as a 19 year old couple would have like should there be a difference in those things uh are both of the families in the church it's a it's kind of a different consideration if both families are part of the same church you can make a lot of assumptions about what the standard parameters for how they're thinking on these things are are there families in different churches say there's uh 
there's somebody in our circles and someone from a different church background. Um, maybe there's a family that's one of the one of the one of the couple is from a church family and the other is from a non-Christian family, or maybe both of their families are non-Christian. And how does that factor into a Christian courtship if neither of the parent families are are in the church? And if if they're not in the church, um, where does this couple find support and and counsel and 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 guidance for their courtship? Those are all kind of open questions um, that that we have to deal with in looking at at young couples getting married in the church. Secondly, what is the role for the church? What are our expectations and boundaries for courting couples? Like how, how, for, for the church, what do we expect brothers and sisters in the church to be, be beholden to by way of standards and boundaries for their courtships? The immediate question is like, how do we feel as a group about hands-off courtship? I can tell you as a father <coughs> for my family, that's the expectation that we have. But I don't know. I don't know where all of us weigh in on that situation. Like, do all of us expect there to be hands-off courtships? Um, um, what I would say about that is that unless we're going to use like a betrothal model uh, for courtship, like when you're courting, you're essentially almost married, uh, which I don't advocate. I think that we need to have a lower view of courtship where people can get to know each other and call it off if it's not a good if it's not a good match or there's some kind of problem or we don't work well together or we have certain disagreements that don't make us a good couple that I think there sh we should have space in courtships where people can break things off. If we're going to do that though, then it's all the more important that that space is a hands-off space because if the potential is there to end a courtship, then we don't want to be crossing lines where we're holding hands, kissing, hugging, all those things become inappropriate if you break off a courtship. So from that standard, I think the two kind of go together. If we want a more open courtship model where people can engage in a courtship and call it off if it's not a good fit, then it's all the more important, I think, that we that we espouse a hands-off courtship model, that that we keep our hands to ourselves until we're married. Um, that's a part of that propriety between the sexes. The other question that's an open question to me in regards to courtship is how do we want the church to be involved in couples counseling in preparing young people in the church for family life? Um, should we have a uh, should we develop a, a, a course to go through or some counselors to bring young people through some sessions where they talk about family issues or conflict resolution or communication or whatever, the, whatever we think is important for young people. And the way I think about that is, you know, if we had a, if we had a brother's meeting about, or a church meeting, open church meeting where we said, you know, what, what would have been helpful for you before you were married to know or to discuss or to have conversations about and put together those ideas, at least the ones that are most in common and say, these are things that we think our young people should be talking through before they get married. I, I think from my perspective, I think that would be a helpful thing for a young couple to say, hey, we're courting. And we're pretty serious about getting married. So we're going to go to the church and we're going to say, hey, why don't you sit down with us as a couple and let's let's meet together and talk about what marriage and family life looks like in the church. I think that would be helpful for, for our young people. So let me go back here. So those are all the questions that I think we need to answer. We need to answer what do we all think are the the baseline for for propriety between the sexes what are we going to call that space where we make an exception to that generally i'm referring to as courtship what are the parameters for that courtship like what's on the table and off the table as far as how those those people in courtship should be engaging with each other do we have an expectation that that's hands off where do families fathers and and the church fit in in all that um, I'm worried that I'm kind of uh, 
that you all may think I'm kind of passing the buck here. I was supposed to do a teaching on courtship, and I'm just saying here's the questions we need to answer about courtship. But I do think it's a first step, like just to line out what what needs to be resolved in the community for us to have a, a protocol for marriage. And then how, what kind of counseling do we want for young people? I'll tell you, um, in in the courtship in my home between Hannah and David, uh, it was it was a, it felt like it was a unique experience. Like David was living in our home. Uh, he was living in the basement at the Oakland house and he was working with me. He was regular at my table. He was a common part of our home. And, and from that perspective, as someone who was kind of like attached to my household, um, him and Hannah entered into a courtship. So they had a lot of access to each other and, and they knew each other well. And under kind of like at my table, they got to know each other. And, and, you know, David with my family, with my sons and daughters, hanging out with all of us together, got to know Hannah and became interested in her and approached me about her before he approached her. All of that was according to my expectations. And I hadn't talked about that. I don't know why David knew that was the right way to do things for me, but it was. I I wanted to be approached before. I wanted to give my consent to a courtship before, before he approached my daughter. There again, you know, like that's one of the things, like how does that work in a Sattler context where people are away from their homes and I, I don't know. I mean, if I, if my, just speaking from a father's perspective, if my daughter was at Sattler and I lived in California or wherever, I would still want a conversation with a young man who was interested in my daughter so that I could be involved in that process. I think that's, you know, when I was studying for this um, today, I was reading through a lot of the Old Testament passages on marriage because, you know, when I say this is culturally derived practices, there's just not a whole lot of specificity in the Bible, like how we should do these things. I really think it is kind of like culturally accepted practices. What what do we as a, a group of people want to do for this? <clears throat> but one thing that was a common thread throughout all the passages that I read up on about marriage is that the father, especially the father of the woman, had a particular stake in the relationship. Um, that reads in some kind of odd ways. You know, if a man lied with a woman, uh, he was obligated to take her as a wife and to pay the father for his loss of his virgin daughter. Like all this stuff had to do the honor and the loss was considered the, the father of the brides, like dowries and all this stuff was paid to father's brides. Uh, and I'm, I'm glad that we don't, practice things the way the Hebrews did in Leviticus. Like I, I just seems like some, I don't know, they're hard things to assimilate to, but, but what, what the common thread that I seem to pull out of that is that the father of a, of a, of a woman has a particular stake in the relationship that her daughter enters into. And I think that, that there's something about that principle that we should hold on to. Um, so anyhow, David and Hannah got to know each other in my home, at my table. And when they entered into a courtship, some people had had asked Hannah, you know, the, Hannah and David would go for walks and things. And some would say, do you not have rules? Are, your dad just lets you go out with David and you don't have to be chaperoned. And like, it was odd for us. Like if I, if I, if I didn't trust them to be alone, to go out, to go for walks, to go have coffee, to go on a date, why would I let them get married? That didn't make any sense to me. Like if a young couple is old enough to be courting, they're old enough to be responsible for their own behavior. That doesn't mean they don't need input or, or counsel and some direction, but, but the presumption ought to be that you're old enough to be responsible for your behavior if you're old enough to be courting and be, taking the idea of a marriage seriously. So I think there's some balance to be had. I, what I wanted to do towards the end of this discussion was give some advice since I haven't, I don't feel like I've clearly articulated our, our future protocol for how courtships are going to work at Fathers Away. I did want to offer some advice for single men and single women 
who are interested in becoming married. So let me start with, with single brothers. <clears throat> My first piece of advice is directly from Proverbs. Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she should be praised, says in Proverbs 31. Time to time at how... Um, I don't know how to say that. I, I I would hate for us to be having a shallow perspective of a marriage relationship that's just based on physical attraction or some kind of feature um, of a woman that makes me want to marry her. We should be looking for virtue. The, the scriptures point out a woman's virtue over and over again um, as, as her defining qualities. Um, and I feel like it's um, it's a little backhanded for us to be talking about the scriptures where they again and again lift up a woman's virtues and qualities and be focusing on on physical appearance. Um, define your relationships with some, with someone that you want to marry by the qualities of that person. That, that's the first thing. The second thing I would say is not to start a courtship if you aren't ready to get married. And what I mean by that is that um, I think it's unwise to have prolonged and protracted courtships for multiple years and wondering if, you, if you're ready to get married. If you don't know if you're ready to get married, then I would recommend you sort that out before you start a courtship. The purpose of a courtship is to find a marriage partner. And if you're not ready to be married, then that's kind of a vain effort. Decide if you are ready to be married and then, then engage in a courtship. Um, that marriage is not a cure for lust problems. I'm shocked at how many times I've heard... Um, from men that I've counseled with who had lust problems and thought that that would all be better once they got married. It's your obligation to master yourself in this area before you marry. If you bring those problems into a marriage, you're going to not only be continuing to ruin yourself, but you're going to ruin someone else too. It's a horrible thing to look at marriage as a way to cure a lust problem. Next, I would say that providing for a family is a real and a serious burden. But I, I would hate for it to be an undue burden. What I mean by that is that it's okay for poor people to get married. Um, you, don't have to have, you don't have to have bought a house and have $20,000 in the bank to get married. I, I was married basically penniless. I, I, um, I would hate for for money to be the reason that someone didn't get married or wasn't willing to consider getting married um, now now if you are if you don't have money and you want to get married you have to be committed to being a hard worker like the 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 duty to provide for a family is on your shoulders as a man if you're going to get married but i i i you know, I've heard even I've heard fathers in certain church circles say, "Oh, a young man should have ten or twenty thousand dollars in the bank if he wants to get married." And I just I don't subscribe to that. I don't think that that's a, a, a right burden to put on a young man to be able to pursue a marriage. It just has to you just have to be committed to doing what what whatever is required to to provide for your family um, if you're going to get married. I would, if I was a, I would counsel our young brothers to familiarize themselves with the Proverbs about women and which women to avoid and which women to look for. Um, the Proverbs are full of, of, of wisdom for men about how to recognize women to avoid and women to pursue.
I would tell young men not to marry someone that they want to change. I've watched this happen, I don't know, a lot, where um, where someone starts a relationship with a young woman and she doesn't wear a head covering or she doesn't believe in having children or or some other kind of issue like that and 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 when when somebody talks to that young man they're like you know what are you going to do about this oh she loves god i think we'll figure it out together well if she's not at where where you want her to be as a wife then it's not the right it's not the right partnership you guys should have similar ideas about what you want for family and your marriage and what what those decisions look like those are discussions you should be having uh in courtship to determine if it's a good fit um to marry a girl outside of our, our circles that that doesn't believe in in headship or head covering or modesty or whatever and assume she's going to change when you get married is a fool's errand it's not right to do to her either like to bring her into a relationship with the expectation, the subtle or secret expectation that she's going to change once you get married, I just don't think is appropriate. Along those lines, if you want to have children, marry a woman who prioritizes motherhood, who values and prioritizes motherhood. Those are also conversations that you should have as a prospective couple in courtship is how do we feel about having a family and raising children? And how is that going to work? And is that all? Are, are we in agreement with how we feel about those things? I have some advice for for young women, too. <coughs> I would say that courtship is not the time for submission. It says submit to your own husbands. But in this time of courtship, it's the time to ask questions and to find out what kind of man you're considering. It's a time to to raise your concerns, to voice your opinion, to um, to have the hard conversations, to find out how does this man communicate, how does he view leadership, how does he resolve conflict, how well does he listen, uh, are we a good uh, are we good partners in communication? Do we understand each other? Are we able to hear one another? Uh, does he talk over me? Does he ignore my opinions? Does he not listen? Like those are all important things to discern in a courtship. Um, and just like just like I did with single men, not to marry someone that you want to change or that wants to change you. I think what I mean by that is that we enter into a marriage on an even plane, and there's lots of room. Like Eric and I have grown immensely in the 20-some years that we've been married. It's not static, but we started at the same place, and, and you want to stay at the same place. You want to grow together and work together. When I say don't marry someone you want to change, it doesn't mean that you're not both going to change. It means you should be content where each other are at when you enter into a relationship like you guys should be on an e equal footing you should have similar feelings about the important issues that that affect a a, a married couple you should begin on on at, at the same place i would encourage single women to look for a man who makes the kingdom of god his priority you, you should be able to tell this by um, the decisions he's made up to that point in his life by the things that motivate him, by the things that are important to him, by the things that he talks about, by the things he spends his money on uh, and how he spends his time. Those should all be things that you're looking for. Is it a man that prioritizes God's kingdom? You should look at the relationships around a man that you're courting. How does he treat his mother and his sisters and women in general? Um, does he, does, does he act like it's women's jobs to take care of him and clean up after him? Or is he self-sufficient and capable and respectful? Those are all important considerations for a woman when she's considering a man. And I would, I would encourage you. This is something that Hannah told me when I talked to her, I asked her what she thought about 
about courtship. And, and what Hannah told me was that she said, I'm glad I didn't do some of the things that I hear people suggest. And I said, what do you mean by that? And she said, well, I didn't have a lot of specifics about the kind of man I wanted to marry. I knew there were certain things that were off the table. Like I'm not going to marry somebody that's reformed. I'm not going to marry somebody that doesn't accept the premise of the kingdom of God or the Sermon on the Mount. Those are basic, like basic um, bottom line characteristics that are, that are principles that are necessary. But within that, I didn't have a lot of expectations, you know, like he's supposed to be this tall or, or dark haired or blue eyed or, you know, these other attributes of weren't on her list of what she was looking for. And I think she was glad for that because it allowed her to base her relationship off of the man that she started courting instead of having a bunch of expectations and deciding if he met them or didn't, it allowed them to grow as a couple together and to develop expectations around the person that they were interested in instead of measuring the person that they were courting against their expectations. So those are some, those are some general pieces of advice I have. Um, I, I would also for, for couples, I would encourage you to have um, to have counsel and buy-in and counsel from your family and your church to whatever degree it's possible. Um, I think in some in some settings, you know, if if the families aren't Christian, they don't have the same concerns that church families would have. But wherever you can, I would be looking for input and and buy-in into this marriage because it's it's, it's the most important thing um, outside of outside of your conversion. It's probably the most important decision you'll make in your life. And so, as many people as you can bring in, as many close people, you know, your family and your church that you can bring into that and get input from and get encouragement from, the better. So I would encourage you to be looking for that and not try to go it on your own. Uh, obviously, sometimes that 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 isn't an expedient or even possible. Um, we find this when people are, you know, left church cultures that don't accept them in their current state. And, you know, there are exceptions to that. But I would say wherever you can find support and counsel and buy-in from the people that you're close to and that you're connected to for your lifelong. So <clears throat> I think that's the, the last of my slides and um, stop this here. Like I said, in, in wrap up, I, I think we need to have some group discussions about how to, how to, codify or or put in definite terms some of these issues for us here's why it matters i don't i don't want um if i don't want single people in our church to wonder how they're supposed to go about a courtship like it seems alienating and problematic to have a single man or a single woman in our midst that say i want to get married but i don't know how i don't know what the expectations are i don't know how people are looking at this or, or how to approach. I think we need to define those things for our young people so that they have a protocol and it's better to have something than to have nothing. So I, I'm going to recommend that at, um, as soon as we can start having brothers meetings again, that this be high on our list to, to put into definite terms and talk about these expectations that are brought up. Thanks brother Matthew. Good stuff. Um, I'm wondering uh, if you're willing to take some questions. I'll, I'll throw out uh, something to get it going. I'm sure there are a lot of questions, so people shouldn't feel shy. But the <clears throat> I'll, I'll mention one thing that I read in a book, book once and then ask a question. But something I read in a book once that made the point that it's before you ask the who question, ask the why question. And to really go deep into like, why do I really want to get married? If I peel back everything from, um, 
from the all the the fog that's out there around just the, the, the kind of the normal quote normal default that people have down the marriage path. I think it's really helpful to ask the why because if you know the why, then that helps you answer the who. And it seems like for a lot of people, their why is more companionship or it's expected or there's just there's just a general vague sense of of um i would say a, a well-worn path that, that is that is ahead of the people who want to go down the marriage track yeah and then um and so 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 given that that discordance between the why that it should be like you you mentioned the why should be some some notion of serving the kingdom of god together whereas my contention is that most people are actually pursuing a why of companionship uh, it's the default it's expected at, at worst case lust i mean who knows there i'd be really interested to hear your your thoughts on how to how to accurately know where 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 someone is at there because especially especially men i think can make really bad choices in in the sense that they they go for looks uh, primarily and and get so caught up in that that they forget the broader picture there and they miss some of the some of the best people who who aren't unattractive it's just not they're they're not even thinking accurately about about that why and thus ultimately miss out on some of the the very best people and then conversely there may be some people who their why is i want to serve the kingdom and so then their answer for the who should be i want to be single because I want to be the most, the most uh, agile and the most able to serve God to the best of my abilities as a as a single person there. So I, I really do think that why is important. But I'd love to hear your comments on that. Um, highlighting that the the church really should have a high view of a single life. I mean, our primary apostle and our Lord both chose to remain single for the purpose of their ministries. And, and I feel like it's kind of a lost art in the Western church to, to highlight the value of single life, what, what it can produce for the kingdom of God. And so I, I feel like the less of an option singleness is the more of a default people have towards marriage. And I don't think that that's a, a Christian disposition. There should be a real choice for singleness um, and the value of that. And in the context of that being a valuable life choice, you can also choose to be married. Um, Paul actually in Corinthians prefers it. He says, I would that you were all even as I am. Nevertheless. So, so I think that helps to put the conversation in the proper context is that being married is not a default decision. Um, it's something that people should choose in the kingdom and they should recognize what that choice entails. It entails certain obligations in the world that you wouldn't have as a single person. So if the church has the right view of those things. I think it, it helps clarify some of that. Like if I was going to get married, then what, what would I want to be married for? Well, I'd want to be married to have a family because I, uh, to raise children in the kingdom, um, you know, to be involved in, in ministries that I wouldn't be able to be a part of. Otherwise, you know, there's a lot of reasons, good reasons for, for marriage and family, but they're not necessary. They're not foregone conclusions. So I think that's a, a big part of that whole conversation. Matthew, we have a question that came in through the chat. Um, anonymously, a single sister asking, uh, could you ask the, what's the reason behind having courtship being discussed at a brother's meeting? I think the, some of the implication is would, wouldn't, wouldn't single sisters um, who don't have a spouse there to relay the information, what would, how would they have a voice or should they have a voice? 
Right. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm not sure. That's a bigger church polity question. I, I think that when we talk about setting policies for the church, like what are we all going to advocate as church policy? We think of that in terms of um, the men leading the church in those directions. I, I don't think that means that women shouldn't be involved in the discussion or have input. How, how to engage with our single sisters in that in that regard is something we'll have to figure out. I don't yeah. deny their need to have a input, but I think that the the direction of the church should be charted by the men. If I could say something on that real quick. Um, yeah. I, first of all, I really appreciate it, Matthew. I, I, you know, I, I really just the way you described it and a couple of things that you brought out that um, I appreciate. And one is your summary at the beginning that you should look at our relationships of, you know, being with someone else's as a married person, as I am with someone else's wife, that should be the, our relationship that our young people have between one another until they have, um, until they're married. You know, the, the first Corinthians chapter, what is it? Seven says that it's good for a man not to touch a woman, although every man should have his own wife. And so we have this scenario where it's not good just to touch women, except in this marriage situation. And you also did it very well of just talking about this in between time. Obviously I don't want you getting attracted to my, you know, that there is a time that, that there's this in between and it's that spot that's awkward. It's just frankly awkward. And so to answer the, the young lady's question who answered it, it's, it's a fair question. It seems sort of weird. Everyone's talking about this at a brother's feeding and they're talking about really, it's just us coming together and drawing those norms because some of it is not, I don't know. I mean, you could make an argument is a hand holding okay or not. Is, is this okay or not? And, and, and although first Corinthians seven would seem to indicate against it, but nevertheless, you know, if it's, if, if as a church, we're going to think that that's like, you know, off to be holding hands, then that needs to be said. But if it's okay, then that also needs to be said. And we need to make sure that it's not offending brothers um, in our church. And so really a, a lot of this is just sort of getting these things out in the open, making it clear and making it, um, in the light, uh, that everything is in the light. So there's not a bunch of cloud over someone's head. There's not a bunch of secrecy and our young people can just feel clear and free to, to go through these things, um, and, and work that out. And so I think that's the intent that you were talking about of us discussing these things at the brothers meeting, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I would say, you know, that's one thing I also, I, I only have one experience under my belt. Well, Han, Hannah is the only one in my family that's been married. Um, but I asked her, I said, you know, how do you feel about hands-off courtship? Because they had one. And she said, I wouldn't do it any different. She said, I feel like there's both Hannah and David have told me this. I feel like there's enough kind of electricity in a new relationship and a courtship that you don't need that physical touch. Like uh, she said, I'm, I've always been glad that that was something that was reserved for our marriage. Like, I can't imagine what I would have gained by not having a hands-off courtship. It allowed, it allowed those things to be grounded, that physical touch, even, even casual physical touch to be grounded in my marriage. And I don't feel like I needed that in my courtship. I didn't, you know, we were already excited enough about each other that that wasn't a necessary component for our relationship. And they've always been glad that it was how they, how they handled themselves. Uh, Matthew, I wanted to ask a question to um, just kind of a follow up on the, the sister who wrote in um, about like a good place to discuss this might be our local church communities. Right. Like this is something that we can talk about. We can schedule uh, each each group can schedule a night. Um, that's really where where couples should be looking for input and advice is from those who know them best, which is those who they're communing with in, in theory. Um, and, uh, and hopefully in practice too, uh, that, 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 that seems to be a safe place or talking about it after church while we're having dinner. Um, you know, like there, there's lots of venues to have those discussions where we, we can all share our voices equally. Is that the right idea? And, and it, it, it should be the case that with, with all of these big polity decisions in the church that we're having a bunch of conversations in our congregations and that those culminate in a, in a brother's meeting with the whole church so that we can accurately represent what, 
the brotherhood is thinking and talking about in regards to these issues. Um, yeah, I have a follow-up question. So I think I, I really understand and like the idea of that single single brothers should be treating sisters just like married brother would treat a married sister. Um, however, it seems like that changes um, when you start a courtship relationship that that that's completely different now, that you're actually growing in intimacy in ways that like a married brother would not be doing with another married sister. And, you know, maybe there's, so you're growing, you know, emotional intimacy or spiritual intimacy. Is it physical intimacy that should, that, that is something that you want to wait until marriage or like, as you, as you grow in your relationship, how, um, how should you be thinking about physical intimacy? Maybe, um, yeah, does that, does it change at all? Or is that the only aspect that doesn't change? I don't know if that makes sense. I, I mean, I get your question. I think that we, we think of, of the marriage bed as the culmination of the marriage relationship physically. And that we know that there's, that's behind a, a walled, that's a walled garden that's retained only for this this relationship and i think that in the interest of preserving that walled garden um that it's wisest to have to leave physical contact for the other side of marriage um i suppose that there are there's a lot of ways in which we grow emotionally and spiritually after marriage but to determine whether or not, like, I don't think physical compatibility is much of an issue by and large. I think that figuring out if we can communicate together well, if we have a common vision and purpose and goal, that those things are the things that we have to, res that's what we're using courtship to determine. Um, and that's not near as much the case with our physical, um, our physical relationships. I do think that that um, that courtships can cause, even if they're hands off, can cause emotional damage if they're not treated with reverence. Like uh, frivolous dating can can carve up people's hearts in ways that are that are damaging in long term ways. I mean going too far in in emotional connection with someone who you're not going to end up in a marriage with can leave can leave problems behind so it's not like there's no ramifications for for the rest of the part of a courtship as well Well, Matthew, one of the things I heard you say I thought was critically important and, and a mistake I've made badly at least twice, having been someone who's, you know, decided that I'm happy being single is like I didn't I hadn't decided that I wanted to be married. I just thought it was going to be the status quo. Mm. And therefore, and then pursuing relationships that I'm two years into a relationship and there's some expectation that we're going to be married. And I'm like. Uh, but I don't really want to be married. Um, and, and, and it's because, and, and, and I'm so glad that before I embarked on my third serious relationship in the church that I decided like, Hey, I, I don't have a good uh, uh, history here. And I, I should inspect my heart a little carefully uh, before I take another uh, person and lead her on in some ways that I'm not willing to follow through. Yeah, amen, Jeff. And I, I, I think it's it's been a blessing to see um, the fruit of a man's life who chooses to be single. Um, the things that you do in and for the church are are such a blessing to see the value of someone who has a, a life that's free to serve the church and serve the kingdom. It's really it's really neat to have living examples among us. Yeah, I was wondering. Um... For, for those of us, uh, like Sattler students who have parents in other settings, 
with different, um, either similar or different um, ideas concerning how the relationship should be done. Um, where should we, where should we go for our primary? Um, if, if we're a member of the church and also under the authority of our parents to an extent, um, where should we go? For and I think, <coughs> you know, given our, given our particular demographics, I think that that's going to be a more of an issue for us than maybe it would be in a lot of places because we have people from so many different places who are still, you know, connected to home via family and home churches that are also engaging in, in, in life here with followers of the way. And so I think that we're going to have to, we're just going to have to be sensitive to the concerns on both ends of the spectrum. Um, I would generally say to, to, um, like I would to take an extreme example of somebody who's from an evangelical church where there weren't standards of courtship, but they were out followers away. Maybe they're courting somebody who's not in this area from a home church or whatever. Um, I would say that as a, as a brother or sister and followers away, you'd be beholden to kind of the standards of the church here. I would typically follow the more conservative standards just for the sake of, of that relationship and keeping it in harmony with, with everybody involved would be my general counsel. I, I think there's a lot of specifics we'd have to work out, but um, say, say if, if the home church was more conservative than followers the way I'd say, Hey, look, just follow the more strict guidelines for the sake of keeping everybody involved and participating in the relationship so that things go go harmoniously through through the process of getting married yeah i agree uh, and but it's probably usually the other way around <laughs> right um and so in that sense you know it's good to be respectful of you know you don't want to be looked at as as yeah you know, if you're here, then that would be this, you know, the, the morays and the standards of the things that we, that we would want it here. And uh, that we're, and we're, again, we're new at this. So Matthew and I are the only ones with old enough children to, to be married. Uh, and so it's, it's something that we'll have to grow into our culture and we'll have to work out some of that. But yeah, I think being respectful and honoring uh, one another is, is always a good, a good approach. Hey, Matthew. Um, that was actually going to be one of my questions is, um, you know, as someone who comes from a background where there's kind of this loose, um, informal uh, dates before it's actually an official courtship, um, what does that look like? Um, how do you think it ought to look like uh, at the initial stages of courtship? Yeah, I think that I think that introducing that concept from the beginning of a relationship would be a, a good start to say, "Hey, uh, I'm interested in, in I'm interested in you as a." I'm looking for a marriage partner. Um, I don't like the way that it's done in the world. I don't like the frivolous nature with which people engage in relationships, but I would be interested in getting to know you from the perspective of wanting to find a spouse. Are you interested in that? Here's the kind of the terms and parameters that I think of that in and just go into it with, with, you know, stating those expectations. I have a question. Um, so is there kind of, I know that you were kind of talking about like a couple of times you kind of referred to like young people and things like that. Um, is there kind of like, number one, is there, I guess it's two combined questions. Is there like kind of like, like space for like there being kind of a difference between if you're like really young and you're considering marriage versus like, if you're like pretty established <laughs> in your adulthood and considering right. marriage. Um, and with that, is there like, like when you're kind of thinking, when we're thinking about like having conversations, is there like space within those conversations for like individual couples to like, I mean, obviously within like biblical guidelines that make sense, is there space for those couples to kind of make some of their own decisions kind of in like how they're going to proceed? Uh, the the answer to the first question is, yeah, I think there has to be a difference. I mean, if we're talking about you know, just for example, 30 somethings versus 18 year olds, that, that there ought to be a difference in, in what that, 
you know, how independent somebody is, you know, living on their own with their own money, their own job, their own career, their own, you know, they're already living an independent life, making decisions on their own. That that's a different consideration than someone who's still living at home and very young. Um, I feel like there just needs to be more input and buy-in the younger and less independent that someone is from the church and the family. Uh, the second question is a little more open and dynamic in that I think that what we have to decide is if if we're going to have parameters in the in our church for here's what our acceptable limits are. I mean, what we're saying is is that we appreciate that that courtship is culturally derived. That 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 they're, they're it's not a static. It's not like the Bible says X, Y, and Z are the, are the boundaries and limits. These are culturally derived things. So what are we as a culture going to, going to lay out as expectations for a courting couple? How, how are they going to set boundaries? But there ought to be some kind of, um, I think, um, acknowledgement of the cultural parameters. Uh, I, I don't want to, I think that there's a mix between the ability to derive some of those things independently and the ability to fit within the culture where we're marrying, that the church has some say with what propriety looks like in our time and place in regards to these, some of these decisions. But I don't want, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a bit of a tightrope. I don't want it to be overly burdensome. um, But I do want there to be some kind of appreciation that, if we're marrying within this culture that here's where, here's where the cultural lines are drawn and that we're okay with that. Again, the, 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 the local church congregation in a place like Boston where there's multiple congregations is, is a great setting to kind of test out ideas, right? In a safe space. that you know as far as as far as followers away boston's concerned this is our kind of like this is our introduction into the concepts like we don't have an established practice for all this yet we're that's what we're doing here and now i have a question um i know you're here at first of all thank you for putting all these thoughts together this is good and informative I know that here we typically take a stance that creating too many cultural standards outside of like the explicit um, commands of scripture and things is typically a negative thing um, in terms of just being able to accommodate for people from different backgrounds and things like that. And I'm wondering if you like what the, I know this is a different thing than like a different sort of scope of thing than like clothes and those sorts of things. But could you speak to that sort of distinction in, in, in making like cultural standards of like, this is how we do this outside of like the realm of um, like applying these principles in a more specific way as a broad church standard. And uh, maybe a corollary would be our baptismal practices. Like we would recognize that in the church broadly, like we don't rebaptize people because they were poured or single immersed, but we have a particular practice for the church here where we practice triple immersion. And here's the reasons why we do it. This is a little more, um, maybe not as as textually derived i think what what from the perspective of a father looking at how are my children supposed to get married and what are the what what do our what what are we as a people going to do to make a process for some, for our young people to go from single to married um how do we create enough space and protocol for that to happen so that you know if I'm a single person at Father's Away and I want to get married, here's the things that together we've all agreed are are important for us to do. Like, should I talk to a father or not? Is it hands off or not? Like all these things 
are they, if we don't make some kinds of conclusions about that, then it's what you're doing is setting up a situation where every couple has to reinvent that process for themselves. And I think what you'll find is that that will, that will degrade into the lowest common denominator in any particular scenario. Like wherever that goes to, it can't be, it either is a place where we're going to have a protocol where we, we pursue courtships in this way or just everyone figure it out for yourself. If you do that, then it's, it really is every man for himself. Like if you can get away with it, with, with the people involved then do it and, and otherwise, you know, just, it becomes a household decision. When we're mixing households, I'm not sure that works. Like, um, I don't know how, how we would engage with marriages if it's just every man for himself and every courtship is going to be different and have its own parameters. Like if, if my brother doesn't care about hands-off courtship and I do, and he's engaging with my daughter, how do we resolve that? Like, where does that come to? And is it just matter then if you marry a millioni girl, you have a hands-off courtship. If you marry uh, some other girl, then you don't like, does, do those things matter? I think that they do. I think that in order to create a harmonious way to make good solid marriages there should be a way that's accepted by everyone some basic uh bottom line standards to say you can work within your own you can have your own way of doing this within these bottom line standards now those bottom line standards like it's good for a man not to touch a woman nevertheless let every man have his own wife like it's not that there's no scriptural concerns involved in these things, but that is an application. Like it's not, I mean, in the immediate context of that passage, he's talking about whether or not to marry at all. So does he mean when he says it's good for a man not to touch a woman, does he mean don't physically touch women? Or does he mean in the euphemistic sense, not to be married? Well, you kind of left to determine that. But if, if I think if we want to, as a group of people say, Hey, this just is creating a boundary that physical touch across the sexes isn't a good idea. I think that's an appropriate way to look at that. I don't feel like we're outside of the bounds of scripture to say such things. So that's that's kind of my thoughts in that. But again, I want to I want community consensus in that. I want that to be a decision that we're reaching together. Not just me. Yeah, another thing on that, and that's well said, Matthew. Um, another thing on that is some of these norms create a pathway that um, young men know, you know, how to go through the steps. I mean, it, it's awkward sometimes when we come, are coming from so many different cultures and a guy is interested in a girl and you're thinking, you know, how, how do I even, you know, start this type of a thing? Having some of these things talked about, I think actually could maybe help some of the young men to kind of, you know, put some of those uh, steps in place, you know. So, yeah, I think I think this kind of conversations are really helpful for on a lot of different levels. I have a question. Um, so we've we've talked about like physical intimacy and emotional intimacy and how to like be careful in those areas. But I'm curious what you would have to say to like the, the spiritual intimacy component. Cause I've heard some people say, um, for example, that you shouldn't pray together as a couple until maybe you're engaged because that kind of, um, spiritual intimacy drives a desire for the physical intimacy. And therefore that should be kept as something later on in a relationship. Whereas maybe something like, devotional reading of scripture together is something that you could do earlier on. The borders that should be set by a couple. Um, I, 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 it would be hard for me to say a, 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 a couple shouldn't be praying together. I think though, there's something different about like spiritual leadership about presuming, um, leadership over a woman and saying, here's where, you know, like, I feel obligated to direct my wife in spiritual ways and shepherd her and watch over her spiritual well-being 
in ways that I don't think would be appropriate if we weren't married and, you know, working from being single and not connected to being in that place married, like there's a progression to be had, like all these other things. So how to create that? I mean, we want to get to a place from through courtship where by the time we're married, there's some kind of assumption of responsibility for spiritual headship. Um, but I think it's the kind of thing that you have to, I mean, you wouldn't want to do it too early or too late. But how that happens probably depends as much on the couple as anything else. Yeah, in relation to the spiritual authority idea, I like what you said earlier, Matthew, um, separating this concept of, of authority and submission. Um, I heard James Dobson once put it this way, you know, you go into a marriage with your eyes wide open, you spend the rest of your marriage with your eyes half shut. We <laughs> uh, can debate on the, the second part, but the, the, his general point is that the kind of scrutiny that we go into these things need to be really there. And it's, it is the time to ask those kind of questions. So I, I do appreciate it. Now in the midst of that, there should be a sense of how is this going to walk out? And the, and the guy has to, to discern how that's those, those submissive things are going to be in the woman as well. But it's, I think it was a good point you made that that's not the place in the courtship relationship and that those, those questions and those things are, are needed. So yeah, I, th- I think that's well said. A courtship should be the place where a woman can really try spiritually try the man that she's she's considering engaging in a relationship with a marriage with because you know if if we as the church are teaching that a woman like the scriptures say a woman should submit to her husband as unto the Lord like I hope she's seeing a lot of the Lord in her husband um, as she's approaching that day like you want to be seeing Christ in him so that that submission is not out of hand.